everyone, before we get to this week's show, this is a parental advisory warning. Please, please, please do not let your kids listen to this episode until you listen to it first, because I don't know how old your kids are, but I have met people recently that are letting their kids listen to the show as young as five years old. I have a five-year-old and I would never let him listen to this show, nor half the shows that I put out. Uh, But hey, you guys do you. I'll do me. I don't care what you guys do. You're the parents. But I just wanted to give you a heads up that today's show, if you haven't you know, figured it out by the title, it's kind of an edgier one. And I just want you guys to know that going in so that you are properly informed and you're not like, oh my gosh, where's the volume button? Turn it off. Oh my gosh. All right. Let's get to this week's show. Merkel. Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow this head off. I feel something pulling at my leg, and I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling at me, and they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush, and I touch air, couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move, because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. Yep. Welcome to the show, everybody listening to The Confessionals. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach you that way as well. Either way it works for me, just get a hold of me. If you want to hear more shows on a weekly basis, go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the join button, become a member, and get access to bonus shows every Thursday on the website and the Castos app. Plus, you get access to ad-free listening every Tuesday show, and you get the overtime segments when they're available right there as a member to theconfessionalspodcast.com. Check it out if you're interested in more content from me and Merkel Media. Also, friend, check me out at live shows this year. We are going to be at the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference in July. The tickets are for sale. I have a link for that in the description of this episode. Come on out there and meet me and Jack and possibly my wife, Lindsay, and the kids if they make it. If they make it, they'll probably be a hit and miss kind of thing. They're not going to be there the whole time because a five-year-old and a two-year-old will not last an entire day at the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference. But I will... And so will Jack. He will be there running the stands. I'll be there shaking hands. All right, friends. Also, check out the live show that I'm doing in Gatlinburg. And that is going to be a live show with me and Jerry from Hillbilly Horror Stories. 
We are going to be doing a live show in Gatlinburg this September 30th. Go ahead and check out the tickets for that if you're interested in coming out and participating in a live event hosted by myself and Jerry from Hillbilly Horror Stories. I am excited about that and I hope to see you there. All right, friends, last but not least, check out Expedition Dogman on Tubi, Amazon, Merkle.media, On Demand. It doesn't matter to me, but it is a film that we came out with last year, and the people love it, and I know you'll love it too, so go ahead and check that out. We are going to be dropping our next film, the second one, very soon. I'm talking very soon. Stay tuned for that. More details will be coming, and only a certain select few will have the opportunity to see it first, and will you be that? Well, you'll have to find out. All right, so this week we have Dr. Juliet Angle coming on, and it's a really interesting story that she has because she claims to be a victim of MK Ultra programming. Her parents sold her into the program, and what's interesting about her is her background. You see, she started having these memories come back to her after she escaped the programming because when she escaped, she didn't have memories of the programming. It was like her she had this block of time in her mind. And what's interesting is she actually enrolled in medical school. She actually owned her own practice. She is an MD, a highly respected doctor. In fact, she was one of the first doctors to go into Russia after the USSR failed to actually help build up their medical system. She was a very highly respected doctor, and she comes out to talk about how she was part of the MK Ultra program and the things that she experienced. The sex magic that's involved in MK Ultra mind programming is on another level. So, with that said, I would highly suggest that you guys do not let your children listen to this episode until you listen to it first because some of the conversation we have is graphic, but it does need to be said and talked about. So I hope you guys enjoy this show. I think it's going to be very enlightening for you because of the fact that our guest is a doctor and a highly respected one at that. And she comes forward to talk about her experience in the MK Ultra program. Let's get to Dr. Juliet Angle right now. All right. Today we got Dr. Juliet Angle. How are you? I'm fine. Great. So uh, I, I told you a little bit here and I want to tell the audience uh, how this kind of came together because this is how it often happens for me. Uh, I find people I'm interested in online and I reach out to them and I usually only do one email because I forget by the end of the day that I reached out to anybody. And uh, I, I sent you an email because I found you on Twitter. And I actually think it was... Um, uh, one of these Twitter accounts that uh, became unbanned, uh, and and uh, like they were popping up in my feed, and 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 it was somebody that got banned about a year ago or something. And the last tweet they had was that they had you on their show, and I was like, oh, who's this? You know, <laughs> and I shot oh, you. I know that that was Zach Payne. That was Red Pill seventy eight. Yes, Red Pill seventy eight. That's who it was. Yeah. Yes, that was my very first time coming out on a on a broadcast. And it was the night that he got banned off of Twitter and YouTube. Wow. It was the same day. <laughs> same day. that I was his last tweet. Wow. <laughs> uh, see, I hope you, hope you don't have that track, track record with me, though. Uh, <laughs> it still got out there. So, I mean, they can't stop it. Absolutely. What's happening is, is God's will. Yeah. And, and I... Um, and I'm very familiar with that and just seeing how things have unfolded for my show over the years and stuff. Uh, uh, like we said before, uh, God gets what God wants. Um, mm -hmm. And so I reached out to you 
and you responded, and I was like, "Oh, great!" And so here we are. Um, but uh, you are a survivor of MK Ultra programming, and yes. uh, also you. It, it's it, it's funny because it seems like your life has had uh, multiple stages, from what I've gathered. I mean, you have mm-hmm. this 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 uh, experience growing up being uh, sold into MK Ultra, and then uh, you remember those have those memories. You you uh, depart, you run away, or whatever it is. You become a doctor. And then you wind up selling your practice and you you move to Moscow and you, you you uncover human trafficking over there when you're trying to help people with their medicine. And it's just like, mm-hmm. holy cow. I mean, uh, some people are living a life that they're just destined for um, one drama, but also to have an impact in people's lives around them because of the drama that goes on throughout their life. Uh, and it seems like that that's very much you. I mean, it's just like step by step. It's just been one thing after another. And uh, I th- I found it very fascinating. I wanted to have you on to talk about your life story with these things. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, you are an author of three different books. And if you could let the audience know about the books and uh, where they can get them. Do you have the graphic I sent? I do. Okay. Um, the first book is uh, Sparky, Surviving Sex Magic. And the program that I was in was called Sex Magic. I was being raised to be a honeypot and a spy for the CIA. And uh, the second, so that I, I talk about one specific year in my childhood. It, it was, um, it took me years actually to be able to remember my childhood. And the hard part is as an MK Ultra survivor, it's so crazy. You can't put anything into context. And I have an MD degree. I'm boarded in nuclear physics. I've, I've uh, done all kinds of work in medicine and in healthcare reform in Russia and the U.S. And with all those qualifications, I thought, well, maybe I'm not nuts. You know, may- maybe I can start start uh, putting these things together. And there's no one to help you. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I read Kathy O'Brien's book, but I found I couldn't read it. There were blocks in there, and I tried to read the Bible. I couldn't read the Bible. It uh, blocks. It still blocks. I can hear it. So I play, I play recordings and I listen to it over and over and over and over till I can practically recite it and then begin to understand it. So obviously that was put in there and I was raised on the other Bible, which is the satanic Bible. And, um, so that's, that's in my book, Sparky Surviving Sex Magic, which was a very, very difficult, painful thing to write. But I think it gives you a good look from the child's perspective. You know, I, I didn't have the overview. Nobody sat me down and said, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing. No, I'm telling you what the experience was as a child. And other people are reading it. I'm, I'm hearing from people every week who say, I, I think I did something similar. I have no memories. And uh, uh, so <laughs> at a recent conference, I had five people come up to me. And uh, interestingly, they turned out all to be related to, to me. <laughs> so... There's wow. something there too, so I I don't know. Uh, the second book I after I got my MD degree um, at the University of Washington, I graduated first in my class and started a radiology practice, and uh, had no memory of my childhood, but had a very had a successful practice. I did research. I was in Seattle. It was the 1980s, so it's when Bill Bill Gates and uh, Paul Allen and they. The Brotmans, who founded Costco, and uh, Schultz, who founded Starbucks. It was an exciting mix of 
of people who have subsequently, you know, gone off the off the rails. But it was an exciting time to be in Seattle. It was the beginning of AI. Um, I had an ultrasound development company. My specialty was di- was diagnostic imaging, prenatal ultrasound, and um, so it was a it was an exciting time to be in Seattle. And then uh, I was literally called to go to Russia. I I it was the beginning of Glasnost. The Iron Curtain had just come down, and I was invited to uh, Russia as one of the first Western doctors to visit Russian healthcare facilities. And uh, I was destined to go. I understand that now, but I didn't understand that then. It, it uh, I did go. It's it had a strange effect on me. I was in this very very foreign, strange country, and Russia was um, had been sealed off for years the border the iron curtain was opening that day and i went through it and um uh discovered their how awful their healthcare system was and um was able to help reform do a lot to reform healthcare in russia and my second book is about that uh, it's called angels over moscow and it's called angels over moscow because um in the process of um, working on healthcare reform, I discovered that about a third of babies were being abandoned at birth and they had any kind of reason, you know, um, the baby cries too loud. Uh, one of the worst ones was they have red hair. So if they had red hair, they were abandoned and there were orphanages full of kids with red hair, perfectly wonderful little kids. But I, I wanted to know what was happening to these babies. Where were they going? So I persisted annoyingly to a lot of people, but I persisted and found that they were in. Uh, they went through a system of orphanages, and there were at that time there were eight hundred thousand kids in orphanages. And the Russian population at that time was one hundred twenty million. So that's a significant number. And, uh, so then I, of course, wanted to know what happens to these kids in the orphanages. I mean, where are they? Found they were often out, out in little towns, uh, where they got minimal education, very poor food. They grew up to be, uh, undersized and badly socialized. Um, and they would walk out the door and be taken away to other countries where they disappeared. So that was how I came across, uh, human trafficking in, in the orphanages. And um, so that's also h- how uh, a group of Russian women and I started the Angel Coalition, which became enormous and eventually operated in 140 countries. I'm sorry, not 140 countries, but uh, 40 countries. And um, over the course of 15 years rescued, and we've documented this, 70,000 people. And we were able to do that by working with uh, police in multiple countries. So. Um, we did uh, regular trainings of Russian police. They were totally open to it. We had tremendous cooperation and um, discovered that uh, one of the most popular destinations for trafficked children and trafficked women was the United States. And at that time, we were a State Department grantee. I mean, my money was coming from the office to monitor and prevent uh, human trafficking, the tip office. And we were their largest grantee at the time, but this is not what they wanted to hear. You know, they wanted to hear how awful it was in Russia, not that they were coming to the United States. So I came 
the United States, I, I uh, went to my congressman who wasn't interested, went to other congressmen who were interested, including um, Congressman Chris Smith, who just got reelected and I think will do great things um, against human trafficking. Um, spoke at the State Department, spoke at the UN, spoke at congressional hearings. Nobody wanted to hear it. And uh, I thought that was ignorance or um, I couldn't quite believe at that time that it's because, you know, the State Department was actually involved in it, which later uh, the people that I was encountering, actually, they are. Um, and my third book is a novel and it's, it's called Moscow Traffic and it's uh, Practically everything in it is true, but it is, it's written as a thriller. And it's because I wanted to tell the history of Russia. It's really the history of Russia, Ukraine, all the things that are going on. And, and really it tells you the basis for this war and for the, um, rise in criminal, criminal groups and how, you know, they got to the United States. But writing it as fact was, was, uh, nobody was going to believe it. So I wrote it as fiction. And I think probably now, you know, a few years later, because it took a long time to write it, uh, people will be, well, people will get a lot of information out there now that there's a context for it, which is what's going on in Ukraine. So um, those are my three books. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I, while you were just saying, talking about this last book, uh, it, it really kind of, it's something that I identify with a lot because I, I think that there. There's a place for everything when it comes to how you write uh, books, but when you take a true story and you make it into a novel, there's a certain group of people out there that would never hear that story otherwise. Exactly. You know, because they they just whether they don't believe the context if you put it in as a like I say a biography or something like that. Uh, but if you if you make it a story, they go into it saying I can consume this and, and take it in. And then afterwards, you can say the last page, hey, by the way, this is all true. <laughs> and then, you know, shift their paradigm. But uh, I, I think that they're, I think that's a really wise move. I've seen other people do that as well. Um, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Michael Heiser, um, but uh, he, he has written uh, fictional books as well. And uh, it, it's very, I think it's very important to do it like that at, at times. So uh, those are the three books and uh, people can definitely check them out. The links will be in the description of this episode. Uh, but uh, why don't you let us know, is it on Amazon, I'm assuming? Yes, they're all on Amazon. Okay. Yes. Or you can get them off my publisher's website and off my website. Okay. Is there, a, and, uh, is there a way you prefer one over the other at all? Well, if you take, if you get them directly from the publisher, I get more money. So definitely. Let's do that. <laughs> I mean, Amazon reduces you to, you know, yes, little tiny pennies. So of course I prefer the, the publisher's website. Yeah. Well, and uh, I wanted to say that for Moscow traffic, the novel, I introduced the supernatural in, into the, into the events because you can't, look at Russia, you can't really look at us either, but our culture, uh, you know, poo-poos it and, and sticks it on television all the time, but mm -hmm. it's not supposed to be believed. But in Russia, supernatural is, is part of everything. So um, one of the very strong characters in my book is a supernatural icon or, uh, uh, with, with its own history, its own attitude, its own, uh, and it, it is the course of, of religion in, uh, 
Russia and Ukraine. So you have to read it because if, if you are not familiar with, uh, you know, how, how the supernatural works in uh, religion, um, you'll, you will be after you read the book. Right. Yeah. And, and isn't that something? I mean, they, they do. They put so much supernatural on Netflix and TV. Uh, and, and it has that reverse psychology where it's like, oh, that's TV. That's Hollywood. That's not meant to be believed. Uh, and it's just, it, it's, it's interesting how um, this, how deep the PSYOP goes in the human experience in some of these countries and cultures like ours. Uh, it, it's, and I, I'm constantly fighting that battle myself with people, you know, yes. trying to, and the, and the hardest part is um, other Christians that uh, are just, you're, you know, I go to church on Sunday and I, uh, I, I just want to hold hands and pick flowers with Jesus in a field somewhere. They, they have no concept of the supernatural world they live in. Uh, trying and to, they haven't, they haven't read revelations or understood it, or they've let someone else tell them what, because that's the message to us. Right. I mean, John's translation of the message from Jesus through the angels of the churches is a condemnation of our society. And, uh, you know, if you read nothing else in Revelations, read the first four chapters about the churches. Yeah. The Nazis did. And I can tell you that um, in the 1930s, when the Nazis were looking to gain power, which became probably the biggest psyop in the world and continued in MKUltra because that's Nazis. They, they took the same people and brought them to the United States. Um, but the basis of their power, they, cons they considered to be a cult. And so they went to, they read Revelations, and they read that Pergamon was the seat of Satan, and they read about the supernatural practices that were, that were condemned by Jesus, and they wanted them. So it's very hard to find. I found it in Russian uh, internet. I read Russian, so I read their sites, that the Nazis came to Pergamon and took it. So they exported the Temple of Zeus. They exported everything that might be considered the seat of Satan, and they took it to Berlin, where it's been ever since. And and uh, right now they have a series of buildings which contain the artifacts from Pergamon. It's closed. They they say they're re refurbishing everything, so it'll be open. Uh, I think at the end of this year. So there's Pergamon. They took it, and they took it because of its. It's uh, their belief in its supernatural powers, and they've used it. So um, they believed it. And I think at the basis of every secret society, there is the occult. And that uh, uh, I think in that, uh, you know, the church religion is is a cult and that it requires faith in something that, that you can't see but is obviously real, you know, like uh, – so um, there's tremendous power in that, and it's being used. And, and I think people need to see it because, you know, and read those first four chapters because they tell you, you know, they, Jesus talks about uh, the, the city that runs hot and cold. He'd rather that it ran hot or it ran cold, but it's lukewarm because it's lukewarm. You'll spit it out. We're lukewarm. We tolerate everything. He's talking about tolerance, you know. You, you follow, you tolerate the Nicolaitans, you tolerate their pagan practices, you tolerate the teachings of Balaam with sexual, um, 
uh, immorality and interbreeding of, of bloodlines. That's what he's talking about. He talks about it. I mean, I'm not, it's not me. I'd listen, read it. And uh, it's a condemnation of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that if people uh, would read that book in half the Old Testament, they would have a totally different worldview uh, if they if they're claiming to believe that the Bible is true. Uh, but um, let's 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 uh, let's jump into um, your story with uh, how this all kind of unfolded for you. And I don't know if you want to start off with uh, your childhood and how that, or like maybe starting off where you started um, remembering these memories from childhood. Uh, how, how would you like to start talking about this? Well, I was uh, 30 years old and top of my field, mansion on the water, extremely successful, uh, had no reason to try and go back and look at my childhood, except that my daughter was born. And here was this little, tiny, helpless, totally helpless person, completely dependent on me. And I was desperate because I, you know, that's when you want to look back. And, and see how, how was I treated? You know, what did my parents do to me? And, and, uh, how was I loved? And all I got when I got flashes was just horrible stuff. I mean, just things. And, and I, I thought I was going mad. So I tracked down my parents. I, I spoke to them. I wrote them letters. I tried to get a, a sense of, you know, why do I have these? these memories and am I crazy? And they said, Oh, you're crazy. I said, well, I'm seeing a psychiatrist. I'm going to go see a psychiatrist because if I, if I can't, if I'm crazy and I'm going to do to my child, what's in my mind, I'll kill myself. And, uh, I was at that point. I, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was just always at, at, uh, her bedside, just, uh, fearful that something was going to happen to her and fearful that I was going to do something to her. So um, uh, I went to my psychiatrist. It was very hard for me to pick someone I trusted enough to do this, but I know I was a medical student and I was very impressed with him. I thought he was completely straight. He, he wasn't trying to uh, uh, manipulate. He wasn't, he was a very intelligent, very honest person. And interestingly enough, he was from Potmos. <laughs> I didn't know that this had any significance. And wow. I think now that, yeah, it had a lot of significance that I picked a psychiatrist from Potmos. Of course, that's where John wrote Revelation. And uh, uh, so I, I went to him. I had my daughter with me in a little carrier. She was asleep. And I said, am I crazy? And he thought about it and he looked at me and he said, I've known you for a long time. You're very poor at understanding your own limitations. So he gave me, you know, all the negatives. And he said, but you are not crazy. And, and that was it. So I took his word for it. And he said, okay, it's going to take a while to unravel you. And uh, he said, tell me about your mother. Blank nothing. I had no memory except a hand. Uh, I, that's all I remember. Uh, nothing. And so he said, hmm. So he said, go home and draw what's in your mind. So I did. I went home and drew what was in my mind. Um, 
if I send it to you, um, yeah, I can yeah, use it'd it. be worth it, worth it to put that up. Uh, so, uh, that's what I drew and that's the blueprint that I used over the next 20 years to unravel what had been done to my mind. And, uh, I think, uh, the fact that I'm reaching up and I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out for God. I'm, I, I knew that I was a child of God, that I wasn't part of this satanic MK Ultra stuff and that my goal was to live through it and then find God, although I knew I was always connected to God. Um, so what I, I get when I reach out, I get the occultic symbols that um, were used extensively in MKUltra. And then what they do to you during the programming is, is to, with the severe trauma and fear and occult practices, as well as a lot of drugs, uh, they break you apart into multiple personalities, not just multiple personalities, but complete identities. So, and I still, I still suffer from that. I, I will be in one identity and not able to access what's in another one, although I know it's over there. So, I mean, I have to like, I, I never use anything that alters my, my mind because then I can't like go and find the other library book that has, mm. has the other language or, you know, the other history. What I, what I've been able to do is become aware of it. So I know to go look for them, but uh, people that just start out get all this at once and it's called flooding and, um, it, it's overwhelming and it drives people to suicide because that's, what I drew is what you see inside yourself, which is total madness. And the thing that people need to realize, it's not their madness. Yes, it's madness, but it's not their madness. And this is what's happening in this country right now is that's what's inside of people. Um, it's crazy. It, it's you, you, you're given the option all through MK Ultra programming to get away from it. They will wipe this clean. They will take it out of you, but they'll also take your soul. So if you keep your soul, you've got this. If they wipe it out of you, you have nothing and you follow the script and you do what the people in our government are doing, what people are, are doing in the schools, the craziness. Uh, they're not capable of pulling back and seeing that this is a terrible thing they're doing. They're not, it's not there. It's been wiped out. And, and, uh, you're not going to fix it by reasoning with these people. They, they've, they have no capacity for it. They've essentially become demons. And, and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a demonologist. Are there such things? I think there are, but usually they're, they're working for the other side. Um, it's all in the first four chapters of, of Revelation. If you tolerate demons in your midst, if you tolerate, Immoral practices, if you tolerate witchcraft, if you tolerate, um, uh, a whole list of things that, that, uh, Jesus tells John to tell the cities. And you got to keep in mind those cities, that was the pinnacle of civilization of the world. These were beautiful, artistic, cultured, wealthy, well developed cities with indoor plumbing and, and energy sources that we don't even understand at this point. And, and uh, uh, very advanced 
at libraries. Pergamon had a library with 200,000 manuscripts. It was all the knowledge of the known world. Wow. Um, did the Nazis take that? Probably. Um, uh, it's gone. So, uh, and now they're dust. So you look at like Smyrna, what's there? A couple of columns and a bunch of dust. And interesting, I've been to all these places, um, not realizing the connection with Patmos, although I started in Patmos. Um, they're dust. They are no more. Um, they're gone. So the revelations of what would happen if they didn't reform, if they didn't change their ways, happened. So we're looking at Revelation, you know, in, in the context 2,000 years later. John was saying, um, Jesus is coming back very soon, and you don't change your ways, you will be dust. He will spit you out of his mouth. That happened. And uh, so like Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities are no more. Those great civilizations, those beautiful buildings, those amazing temples, they must have felt like uh, they would be there forever. So, um, what's, what's remained is the practices of the Nicolaitans, the teachings of Balak, the, the, the battle between the, the saints and the demons, the angels, um, are very real. Uh, so here we are today, and, uh, I've, I've been to several, uh, teachings, I, I've, listening to people talking about revelations, they always skip the first four chapters. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder why that is. <laughs> because we follow the practices as the Nicolaitans. That's Christmas. Here's another, it's in my book, Sparky. Um, Christmas is not the, it's not celebrating the birth of Christ. It's celebrating the birth of the demon Nimrod. That's, the Nicolaitans, that's Santa Claus, that's St. Nicholas, that's uh, holly, that's greenery, that's uh, child sacrifice on the 25th, that's the Saturnalia, that's the high sacred holiday of the Nicolaitans, and we practice it. And uh, if you looked at, at uh, what was all around us at Christmas time, is Santa Claus, elves. Santa Claus and elves are demons. Saint Nicholas, you know, he became a saint, but Nicholas was a teacher of tolerance to all forms of demonology. And here we are. It's all the same. Try to tell people that the Christmas tree has nothing to do with Jesus. And um, very unpopular. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and it's all there. First four verses of Revelation, what's going to happen to us, to our, what looks like it will last forever, will be dust, just like Laodicea and Thyatira and Smyrna and Ephesus, dust. Mm. So, um, with with your experiences on in this uh, in uncovering process, uh, you sent me this picture. Uh, and that was after you went home from the instruction of your uh, uh, the the I forget what, who was he again. 
He was a student He's of yours? He's a psychiatrist. He's a psychiatrist that taught at the University of Washington, and I'd been his student. Gotcha. And, okay. Uh, so he told me to draw a picture, and we'd start from there. And I was trying to draw my mother. He said, when you think of your mother, just draw it. So I drew it. And uh, he looked at that and went, hmm, <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. He didn't know what he was getting into, did he? No, no. And, and he didn't know anything about MK Ultra. This was like 1980. So... Uh, even though in 1976, there were hearings in Congress where they talked about MKUltra and uh, the CIA admitted that it had funded 185 program sites that were conducting experiments using drugs and mind control and torture and sexual abuse. He admitted it. And, and uh, it involved 85 universities and all kinds of private contractors and this was 1976, but it was immediately squashed and didn't get a lot of coverage. And somehow I missed it completely. Although I met, I met some of the people that testified later. Um, but, uh, it didn't take hold. And these were the, the church hearings. And I mentioned it in the forward to my book. So this is documented. And Richard Helms, who was the head of the CIA at the time, uh, claimed that all the records had been destroyed. So there was, when Congress subpoenaed the CIA, they said, oh no, we just had a big fire and everything was destroyed. Um, later they found 20,000 files and continued on, which mm -hmm. revealed a lot more stuff that they did, but they were actively experimenting in 150 different universities and hospitals and sites in 185 different programs on Americans who were not giving consent. So, uh, and the people doing it were uh, Nazis who'd been brought here by Project Paperclip. And I later personally confirmed that because my family was deeply involved in it. And I had four uncles who were at Nuremberg and their job was to bring Nazis to the United States. And then they subsequently put their, each family put one child in the program. So I have several cousins who've been through programs. Some committed suicide. Um, and, uh, and I'm the one that is trucking on. So. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So my family was involved in it. Yeah. And, and, and so, uh, you mentioned about your, uh, going back to your parents and, and, and the way you said it is you looked them up. So, uh, you had your, your child and at that point in your life, you, you didn't have any communication with your parents. Is that how it was? At that point, I had communication with my parents. They, they were traveling around, but I knew I could find them. Um, after that, after I confronted them and asked them, I never saw them again. Um, wow. I, they disappeared. My, my father quit his job. My mother, I never heard from my mother again until she was dying and she called me 20 years later. But uh, I was told they moved to Mexico. But I, I did not hear from them. And uh, uh, they could have helped me, you know, could have helped me a lot. They could have explained things to me. But the way that my father, my father came and met with me. So he, he uh, sat me down and I, uh, he said, if you go to a psychiatrist, you'll never see us again. And I said, if I don't go to a psychiatrist, I'm going to kill myself. And he said, well, that's your choice. 
Wow. And never saw him again. Until he was 95. Before he died. But, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So they, they, they weren't going to help. So essentially what he says to you is either way, we're not going to be in your life. Uh, now that yes. you, now that you remember either you go ahead and kill yourself or we're leaving. Yes. And it's my choice. Wow. And they, and I went to the psychiatrist and I had the psychiatrist try to contact my parents. That was it. They were gone. Okay, let's take a second and talk about our sponsor this week, which is Simply Safe. I've been talking about Simply Safe for a long time. I've been recommending them for a long time, but you know what? US News recently named Simply Safe the best home security system of 2003. We're not even halfway through the year. So it's not just me. US News does. CNET recently awarded them the editor's choice of home security. So I'm not alone in the battle. Simply Safe is literally where it's at when it comes to home protection. And in an emergency, agents use Fast Protect technology, which is only through Simply Safe, to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real. So you can get priority dispatch right to your house. Those police will be there very fast. In fact, if you guys don't believe me, go back to, I don't know what episode it was. Maybe I'll find it and send it on to this episode as well. But I actually had police dispatch to my house. It was all caught on camera and audio because my brother was staying with me for the night. And when he left the house, he didn't know he tripped the alarm and I was still sleeping. And the police came banging on my door, woke me up. I was shirtless and didn't know what was going on. But they were there in a very short period of time to make sure everything's good at the house. It was very much appreciated and you'll appreciate the police coming to your house too if there's an emergency. Get Simply Safe today. 24-7 professional monitoring. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash confessionals. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off your order with interactive monitoring. That's simplysafe.com slash confessionals. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So you were left to uh, piece things together at that point then on your own. Uh, mm-hmm. How long of a process was this? I mean, did you like, so, I mean, who you're working with doesn't know what, what MK Ultra is. I mean, how did you guys go about this whole process? I mean, was it just basically up to you to just randomly remember things and then bring it to the table or, or how'd that yes, work? Yes, pretty much, pretty much. And we just unraveled one piece at a time. But I'd get into things like uh, the human sacrifice of other children. And because he knew me and knew me really well, he believed me, but we didn't know what to do with it. So, so I learned how to cope with the memories. I learned that they were things that had happened to me, but this madness was exterior to me. So it's, it was a process of like walling them off. Although I now had access to a lot of them, I still kept them walled off. And, uh, this, the, so the process itself took 30 years. I mean, it took a long time. And, uh, um, of course the people around me were trying to discourage it all the time. And Seattle was a hotbed of pagan practices 
you can imagine, you look at what's going on there now. They were all into rebirthing and um, being rebirthed as as entities, uh, interdimensional travel, uh, bringing in spirits, occultism. You know, uh, I think they're suffering from it badly now. Uh, the ch- the churches. There was a very powerful church in Seattle, and it got destroyed when the pastor was caught up. I think framed and caught up in a in a homosexual scandal, and then when that church fell apart, it was never replaced. So um, Seattle is is pagan. Um, so uh, it, it has to be God and the Holy Spirit that cleans us up. But I think the idea that that you know you're in the clear if you're out picking flowers with Jesus and singing nice songs and dancing around barefoot, no, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> not at all. No, you you carry your burden. You answer the Lord. You you know follow follow His laws and His His direction, or you're dust. So uh, when these memories are coming back to you. Uh, was there a certain time of day or you, you're doing something that kind of was more conducive to having these memories come back or was it just very random for you? Um, it, when I was actively trying to access them, they'd come back at, at uh, I would smell something and it would trigger a memory. Big one was the smell of pine uh, because that's the smell of the Saturnalia and that's when the Children were sacrificed, and and I was drugged and had and kept there and sexually abused. But I was like always treated like a deity, which I think has to do with my family line. I mean, they they had me in the program, but they couldn't kill me. Um, but they killed the children on either side of me, so I, I was all the time wishing I was dead and completely dissociating. And uh, so every time I smelled pine. I would dissociate and start and start remembering the. I would remember the dissociation, so I would remember what I made up because um, I would I would like float out of my body with an angel, and I would remember being with the angel, but not uh, not the specifics of the sacrifice. Although I, the smell of blood, that that. Uh, most people seems that they don't they can't really smell it, but boy, I can smell it. And in surgery rotations and you know doing blood draws and the smell of blood just makes me sick because they used to put it on me, the the sacrificed blood mm. that was still warm. Um, that's but awful. It's all wrong because that's that's the Saturnalia. That's December twenty fifth. It's not the birth of Christ. That's the birth of the demon Nimrod, and that's the time of child sacrifice. So I don't know how you take all these Christians who, who think that's a high holy holiday and uh, turn it around. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's humanly possible. So I, I fall. I get my directions from the Holy Spirit, and. Um, but I'm just a human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, you, you just said some things that are real heavy. Um, yeah. And the, 
the idea of, all right, so you have memories of being present when children are being sacrificed. Uh, yes, being strapped down, held down, drugged so I can't move. They gave me paralyzing drugs. And the children on either side of me were being sacrificed. So when that's happening, uh, are you familiar with these children? Or, or is this something that you guys, you know, they're taking friends of yours and they're doing this to you or are they bringing in kids that they're keeping locked up somewhere? And it's it, the, way the way you're saying it, it sounds almost like because they couldn't do it to you, um, were you like a focal point during this? Like, were they doing this for, like, for, with, with you in mind? Like, for almost like you're, for you in some way? It felt like that. I don't know if that's, really true. I was only, you know, a child myself. And I assumed they were going to kill me too, but they didn't. And uh, so I don't know. I was a focal mm. point in their ritual. I didn't want to be there. I hated them. I wanted out of there. Uh, and the children were, I, I describe it in, um, in uh, Sparky. And I describe only one Saturnalia, although I was present in Saturnalia's, you know, going forward the whole time I was in the MKL program. And the reason for that is I don't want to tell people how to do it. You know, I don't sure. want to name the names of the demons. I don't want to call them up. I don't want people trying this. Um, you know, black masses are nothing to mess around with. You know, you call up demons, you call up demons, believe them. Uh, so, but people need to know. Uh, so I kept it strictly my experience from that point of view and at that time. So, you know, I was a child. So, of course, I'm egocentric. So everything was about me. But the, the uh, children, I only met like that. We were all in the same van together being driven to this thing. Wow. So I didn't know them. They were all... The Saturnalian sacrifices were white children. I can tell you that. Um, I was also involved in, uh, involved. I was also forced into a situation where, uh, they were making snuff films. And I can tell you, this was at, um, blank <laughs> Outlook Mountain. Are you familiar with that place? No. I might not have my name right. Outlook Mountain. Yeah, it's Outlook Mountain. Okay. It was a mansion built for Hitler above Los Angeles. And it was uh, put together on the assumption that the Germans would win the war and this would be Hitler's home on the West Coast, this, this mansion. And the lower floor was a, a studio. And uh, during the war, they made propaganda films there for the Nazis. So it was a, it was a film studio. And uh, so at this time, they would bring kids into the film studio. I was never upstairs. It's, it's in the mountains above Los Angeles. There's a lot of things in the mountains around Los Angeles. And um, uh, they would take us in through the, through the studio door, which was a big door and they had props and all this stuff and they did snuff films where kids would kill each other and um, they would force us to shoot at the other kids and uh, I deliberately didn't but they would still die 
And, and I, I realize now years later when I've actually fired a real gun that we weren't given real guns. Um, but we would be forced to shoot children and, and that's what we believed. So I grew up believing that even though I'd shot in other directions that I'd actually killed, uh, children. And these were all children brought up from Mexico. So they weren't, um, they weren't white children. They were Mexican children. And these were snuff films. And what they did with them, uh, I don't know. They drugged us. They kept us in cages. So we were uh, kept in the basement in, in cages. And that's one of the only times I got to talk to other children. And the children didn't all speak English. These, these, it was all the, the white race children were kept together because, um, I don't know why, but, uh, they weren't all Americans. So I'm remembering more of a, about it by talking about it. I really don't want, <laughs> want to. It was horrible. Um, but it's continued. And it hasn't stopped, and I'm sure it's gotten more sophisticated, more. Um, it really disturbs me. I'm extremely angry that they're bringing thousands of children over the Mexican border, uh, and then they're disappearing. I, I know I'm very concerned about where they're going and how they're being used, and this has got to stop. You can't do this. This is, this is uh, satanic sacrifice all the way. Yeah. And the, too many people are involved in it, and uh, good people have to wake up to the fact that they have to do more than just tolerate it. I agree. I agree. Uh, there, there has to be an acceptance that these things actually happen, and um, and that you're going to fight them. Right. Right. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of dominoes that need seem to, that need to fall in order for real. Uh, change to happen, lo like long-lasting change, uh, and maybe that long-lasting change domino needs to happen is just Jesus coming back and saying, "Enough's enough, you're done." You know, the, like I like uh, Jesus spoke very highly of the little children when when uh, when they were were around, and uh, he he said some very brutally honest things about those who cause those children to stumble, and so yes. uh, put a millstone around their neck. Yes. Yeah. And it's something that I that I often think about uh, when I think about where we're at in the world. Um, so, if I, if I'm asking any questions that you prefer just to pass over, just let me oh, know. I'll tell you. Yeah, I'm not shy. Yeah. Okay, that's good because I, I with this kind of stuff, I understand it's sensitive, but at the same time, I I have to ask the questions. Um, with the the children, like say you were on a bus together, did. Do you remember if it felt, did they know what was going to happen with them or were they just kind of oblivious, like almost on a field trip or something? They were drugged and gotcha. um, they had no idea. Very often we were taken to Disneyland mm. and uh, I, I thought it was uh, training. But if we didn't do what they told us to do, we couldn't get back on the bus and go home. So, um, the first time I or may not be the first time, but the one I remembered in detail, I was taken to Frontierland and dressed up in a little dress, a little skirt. I was about eight and, um, told to go find a daddy. 
and get him to buy me lunch and take me on the wild toad ride because the wild toad ride had, uh, I, I, I knew this. I knew they were going to take pictures. The wild toad ride has a place where you come around a corner and there's a light that comes right at the car, like the train is going to hit you. And then it veers off at the last minute. Well, they had cameras. So when that light came at, at me in the car with daddy, I was supposed to take his hand and put it up my skirt. And, uh, I did that and got back on the bus because they got, I, I was a hyperachiever. So I got two daddies and, uh, but then the bus was half empty. So what happened to the kids who didn't get a daddy and didn't get the pictures they wanted? Man. I didn't think about the implications of what I was doing. I, I just did what I needed to live. And, and uh, I was more worried about what happened to those children that didn't get back on the bus. Because then, then the next week they'd take us again, it would be different children. Yeah. Uh, that is a terrifying thing to think about, uh, as a father yeah, of Disneyland. A, yeah. As a father of a five-year-old and a two-year-old, um, I've become disenfranchised with Disney over the, the last several years, but the idea of uh, a place that's supposed to be just the, the kid's paradise and well, was, isn't that the perfect place for pedophiles? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this was this was Disneyland, which opened in 1956, 55 and 56. So I was in California at the time. Gotcha. And uh, but they started out right in the beginning with this. Man, uh, I had talked to a woman uh, named Holly years ago. Uh, like I said to you before we started, that you know. So I have several MK Ultra victim shows and they've been behind membership paywall because of the interaction that people get in the comments sections. It's just not fair for a lot of people to have to go through that if they're willing to even come forward and talk, you know. Um, but Holly, I, I remember one thing you, you said here is exactly what Holly said happened to her is she remembers distinctly being kept in a cage and other children being kept in cages. and uh, And that's something that, you know, uh, and I think she was on the east coast of the country when that was happening to her. Uh, but it's it's interesting because of all the all the people that I've talked to that have similar stories, it, I've become I've become very familiar with talking to victims and understanding that we're piecing the story together, uh, and uh, it, it's it's a it's a journey. I, and I had a, a woman, uh, her name's Kat, on my show several times now. But our first conversation was, she was talking about stuff, and she had no idea what box to put it in. She's just telling me her paranormal experiences. And in the middle of the show, I, I told her, I was said, I think you were part of MK Ultra, And silence. And she's like, I need to take a break. And she, mm -hmm. we, we hung up, and we, we reconvened later. Um, but... Uh, her and I are going to be doing some more stuff together because you know, over time she's been uncovering these, these memories, her mom being in a satanic cult and all this stuff. And she has a friend, childhood friend that she's still friends with today that, that remembers the same things. And so um, that is probably something that most victims don't have is somebody that they, they can say, you remember this? Yeah, I remember this. And they can kind of say, I'm not crazy because my friend remembers this as well. Um, 
when when you were going through all this stuff, I know you mentioned uh, that you, I guess there was some kind of uh, uh, sexual magic going on. Um, yes. If if you could uh, enlighten the audience, because I, I don't think I've talked about sex magic a ton on my show. Uh, I'm familiar with it. But if you could let people know, uh, what does that even mean? Like sex magic. I mean, it. I think that kind of goes over a lot of people's heads. Well, it's interesting because that was one of the programs that was actually listed during the church hearings that the CIA admitted to. And um, when I saw that, when I read the transcripts, I, I was out for a week. I was just so shaken because I'd really rather be wrong. I'd really rather be crazy than uh, sure. have all this evil going on around us and and uh, people barely able to fight it. Um, although they are able to fight it, they just don't realize it yet. They have everything. They have they have their human souls. You can fight evil. That's why they're so busy trying to keep us repressed. Um, I'm interested. Did did uh, was a cat? Did she use the word box? Not knowing what box put it in. Uh. I'm, I don't remember. I, I think it might be just me. Oh, because that's a key word in in the MK Ultra. Everything is in boxes, so your different identities are in boxes, and the boxes are stacked inside of a tree, and uh, you can't. You can only access them with triggers. So your handlers have the triggers, and they can send you into different personalities and different states and to. Uh, but the boxes is is the word. So um, now I've lost track of the question you asked me. Uh, we, going down the, the sex magic question. route. Yeah, we were going down. Oh, sex magic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I was a smart girl and a pretty girl. And um, uh, so they wanted to me to be like a seductive scientist. They actually use the word vril. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, yeah, Vril girl supposed to be a a tall, sexy seducer of of uh, you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> world leaders and sure. And so, uh, sex magic is is uh, involves a huge amount of sexual abuse. So, so they're they're um, students, they're victims are sexually abused to the point where sex has no connection with love. So uh, sex becomes a tool and a very deliberate tool. And the magic part is projecting it into other people and actually managing other people through the sex magic, which to us uh, would be not sex at all, but all magic. And it, it, it ruined me, it ruins people for any kind of relationship based on physical closeness and love because they're not connected. They never will be connected. They were viciously disconnected. And, uh, but the sex magic part, uh, was very useful to me for a long time because, um, I could project feelings into other people and and get them to do what I want, even without the language. So people wouldn't even know they were they were getting me something or giving me something. Or so I mean, it's it's a great spy tool, I guess. And uh, when I went to Russia and didn't know the language, 
um, although I knew surprisingly some of the language, um, I could communicate with people, travel around. I was perfectly comfortable because I could read them and I could get them to do what I wanted. And I knew who was dangerous. I knew who wasn't. I knew, you know, so it's very useful, but it's a dark art. So, uh, in order to come and they're back to the first four chapters of Revelations, those who practice the dark art will never enter the kingdom of God. And, uh, it took me until last year, actually, before I, I came out and admitted having anything to do with all of this stuff. I mean, I was using it. I could control a whole room full of, full of, I mean, I'm not bragging about it, but I mean, sure. I could manipulate things using magic. And, and, um, I had to really accept that that was a demonic practice. It was wrong. And I was entirely in line with Jesus and not with Satan. So in order to be, you know, born again and, uh, in, Jesus meant giving that up. And that was extremely difficult because I thought I have become powerless. I can't reach anybody. I can't, uh, I'm defenseless. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, taking off your clothes, you know, and, uh, but I gave it up and with the help of the Holy Spirit, who was with me the whole way laughing because <laughs> Holy Spirit really finds our struggles with these things amusing, I think. But I did give it up. And uh, then suddenly I could understand the Bible. I could I still have difficulty reading it, but I, I can hear it and understand it. And, and um, so I've been on my journey. And that was only a year and a half ago. So that was That's like amazing. right after I went on... Uh, Red Pill 78 and gave my first interview about MK Ultra. And then I, then I presented at, uh, about six months later, presented at the Red Pill Expo, which is a terrific conference. And if you should come, I mean, goodness, um, I'll send you information about it. It's, sure. it's, uh, G. Edward Griffin, who wrote The Creature from Jekyll Island and, and really revealed all the satanic connections and, uh, in banking. And how that's been used to perpetuate evil in our country. And, uh, so that was, that gave me the strength to do that. But I had to do it without my magic. I had to leave my magic behind. I thought I'd die. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh one for sure, some of the information I'd like to take a look at it. Um, but, uh, what you're describing, uh, and this is not even close to the same thing, but it's I've never done magic, so I can't, I can't relate to it. Uh, but I have quit smoking, and it, it, it the idea of leaving anything that has nicotine in it on the table and leaving the house to go do something, leaving it behind, you feel naked. You feel like I need that, and it like I was a miserable person for a few weeks when I quit and uh, it was, it's an addiction and I'm assuming there's a level of addiction when it comes to it because it's just so natural. It's easy. It's just been part of you for so long. I, I think it is an addiction. Sure. And, and uh, yeah, for a couple of weeks I felt like I was going to die. And then uh, of course, then you get stressed and you want to go back to it, but I didn't. So yeah, uh, I, I trusted 
I had faith in the Lord. I had faith in the Holy Spirit, and I was following Jesus. Is it still a struggle? You think? I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's easier, but nothing. No, it's it's not a struggle, and uh, I, uh, I mean, we're all struggling now. This is this is a time of spiritual warfare. Sure. It's a time of of testing everyone to their physical and emotional core. And uh, I'm 74 years old, so um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm struggling with a body that doesn't you know open a pickle jar and my hand falls apart. So, um, but I have absolute faith in the Holy Spirit, and to me, the Holy Spirit always brings joy because uh, the Spirit finds me so ridiculously you know concerned about things that that aren't important. What's important now is our spiritual strength and well being. Mm. The rest of it's all dust. You know, Jesus says it's dust. Jesus doesn't say dance around, sing, and we'll all go to heaven. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you straighten up or you're dust. Right. Um, the, the, let me, I just thought of this, and um, I'm going to bring this up to you and see if you are noticing the same thing that I've noticed. Now, I, I've talked to several different people, uh, and from their perspective of when I'm talking to them, I, I seem to have there's either somebody who's been uh who's has their memories coming back and they're you know going through that process and in that process they either find or they get closer with god to the point where there's like you know they they're they're sold out and then i've also talked to people though who have gone through these abuses and it's like they're they're atheistic almost. And I wonder if that's because of the abuses they've gone through with the satanic ritual abuse. It's like there can never be any God if I went through what I went through. I think it's a choice and, and uh, it's a cruel, it's a Sophie's choice. You know, it's an absolute cruel choice. Is it over and over repeatedly? I was given the choice. I could stop the abuse. I could stop it and I could get the rewards. At least that's what they said. And, and, uh, but they took my soul and I wasn't giving up my soul. So I took the abuse and, and maybe, uh, I suspect that if people are hollowed out and emptied of God, that they made that choice that, that, uh, and they were in the program, they got the abuse to stop. I mean, all you have to mm. do is then go out and get your body sliced up, your gender changed, your your um, health ruined. Your I mean, so the rewards are for most people are not rewards, but they're they're uh, they go from spiritual abuse to physical abuse. Now, it they can reverse it. I think you know. I, I think if they if they can find faith and they can find God, then they can come back. But I don't know, because at some point you actually become a demon. So um, <laughs> that's incredible. It's a you, you can get, I can't find anyone, uh, you know, theologians debated all this for centuries, but boy, try to find that stuff. Mm. Um, but we're strong. I mean, the soul is just a, is the weapon, you know, because the body, and Jesus says, the body doesn't matter. It's, it's, uh, we're here for this length of time. I mean, you think 
Revelations was written 2,000 years ago. Laodicea and the pinnacle, all of those beautiful, they weren't churches, they were whole cities. And, and, uh, prosperous, rich, wealthy, healthy, had the best of everything. And within, uh, two, 300 years, they were dust. And, and, uh, so that, in the end, they lasted this much time, you know? So the rest of eternity is what matters. Right. So we should all be working on our spiritual health I, and I, on finding our way to God. And then God, God tells us what to do. Like, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit gives you directions. And if you say, I don't want to do that, slaps you up the side of the head <laughs> and you do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, I think, I think there's, <clears throat> excuse me, I think there's a lot of people in this world that don't even realize they're working on their spiritual development, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, the direction they're going. Uh, I, I think I personally feel like we're spiritual beings living in a physical existence. So everything we do in this existence is working away at our human or our, our natural um, existence, which is spiritual. Um, it's the root of everything in my mind. So, uh, and it's easy to lose sight of that. You know, it's in the day-to-day activities, you know, people going to work, getting stuck in traffic and, you know, getting angry. You're not thinking about the spiritual well-being of, of the inner person. But I think everything we do is a constant uh, chipping away at that sculpture. Um, <clears throat> so let me ask you this, because I have a question about this. Um, 30 years old, starting to get these memories. Is there a husband involved here in this story as far as, and if so, the significant other, uh, how did they handle all this? It was extremely difficult for uh, him to handle it. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about my husband or my children, but it sure. was hard on them. And, and uh, I wish I could have made it easier, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't help what was happening. And, and my uh, my conclusion was they'd all be better off if I was dead, and um, and that's part of the MK Ultra training. That's called the Freedom Train. So when everything is just unbearable and the people around you are just like, because they're fighting against it, they don't want you changing, and and uh, me wandering around the house at night, afraid somebody was going to hurt my baby. I mean, it was it was hard on my husband it was hard on everyone and and um uh so the natural thing is you well then you just get on the freedom train which is this hippie train with all these psychedelic colors and all this happy music and other people have described this too something like it uh, pillows and and lsd and you get all high and you jump out you die and uh so there's songs too about riding the freedom train, and that's what that is. It's suicide. So, uh, but something in me made me stick it out. <laughs> well, and my psychiatrist telling me I wasn't crazy. It, it, there was craziness, but it wasn't mine. And then my connection to the Holy Spirit, who drove me forward and eventually to Russia, where all kinds of things were revealed because it's a very spiritual country because of the abuse that they have, they have suffered for all the time that, that uh, communism was in control and the churches were destroyed and people were 
uh, shipped off, tortured, and killed for even mentioning God. Um, they, they, religion came back in all forms in a vengeance as soon as the as soon as the uh, Soviet Union fell. So they were growing spiritually while I was growing spiritually, mm. and uh, I just loved all the bells. All the bells have meanings, and and the bells I love the best are these tinkly bells that are the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So some of their recovery sort of paralleled, or my recovery sort of paralleled, paralleled that country's recovery. And then later I find out I'm I'm a large percent Russian. Really? And that my yes, and my I did ancestry and discovered. All kinds of things, including that my great 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 grandmother was Saint Olga of Kiev, who was the uh, became a saint because she was the, she was the Christianizer of Russia. She was the Russian queen who Christianized Russia. Wow, wow, that's see that's what I said in the beginning of the show. I said your your life is layered. You have very many different uh, levels to your life and 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 seasons. I guess maybe seasons is a good way to describe it. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, winding, winding this down here, I, I, I want to ask you this because this just popped in my head as well. And you may not have an answer to this. Uh, but I have talked to some people who claim to have been part of MK ultra programming and they were being trained to be super soldiers. Now I know the super mm -hmm. soldier idea is very much a Nazi idea and, and MK ultra, uh, from what I understand uh, the the very base origin of MK Ultra was to find a way to make people super soldiers. From what I understand, do you have any information on that at all? Yes, uh, yeah, there are super soldiers, and uh, they suffered terribly. They were horribly abused. They they uh, um, often were genetically modified, and then uh, I don't want to talk uh, about about people's stories that they would recognize. But yes, mm. it's a very real thing. And I think that uh, they were treated abominably. And uh, yeah, super soldiers is a very real thing. I've talked to uh, people who say they were part of that program, uh, but also, I forget what it was, but I, I remember seeing something in the news that, I forget what it was. It, it made me feel like, the person that was they were focusing on was a super soldier. What they were describing, it almost seemed almost um, movie. You know, like how can somebody be able to do such things? But at the same time, I have a friend who you would think was probably a super soldier with some of the stuff he's been able to accomplish in the military, but he's just really good at killing people. So I mean, it's just one of those things where uh, he's highly trained and all that. But um, yeah, they get taken in at the age of seven. And they are basically raised in a prison environment where they learn to torture and kill, and they're genetically modified and punished, and and uh, they come out as as uh, killing machines. Mm -hmm. If if they have strong souls and a, and can reestablish or establish their connection to God, they can fight their way back. But usually they're wounded. They've had multiple tours. They're they're uh, they're fighting the the system that wants them dead. You know, um, yeah, it's it, it's a horrible thing that was done to people. And and uh, the ones I know uh, are really struggling. 
I believe it. But they're amazing people. They have these strong, strong souls and uh, feel terrible about what they did. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I've gathered that as well, is that there's, there is a, a tremendous amount of guilt that goes with it. Um, and it, 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 that's a situation I, I would feel, I, I feel so bad for people because it's, it's like you went through a, a, a crazy amount of abuse, essentially forced to do things, and you're the one that's left with all the guilt because you're still human compared to the demons that were teaching you how to do this stuff. It's a shame. Yeah, I have a lot of guilt. Uh, I, and that's part of what keeps the memories blocked is that you have to admit that you did these things. Plus, there were things I, I believed I did, which clearly I didn't. I thought I'd shot other kids. And then when I finally shot a real gun, I realized they didn't give us real guns. So, mm. um, but yeah, you're forced to do things to stay alive that, that are morally abhorrent. Does that make you evil? So yeah, you have to live with those questions. And, and uh, if you're a super soldier, you're out there killing you know, hundreds of people. How do you reconcile that with your soul? So the dilemmas we're facing are horrific. And there's a lot more people that are affected by this than, than uh, anyone realizes. Yeah. I think I'm actually coming to understand that myself. Uh, the more I, I'm just in these communities and stuff, uh, there's a lot of people who think that they have mental illness and it's not mental illness that they have. Uh, it's, it's years of abuse. And, um, it's a shame. And I, I, I know there's some people out there, I, but I got to find somebody, maybe you would have somebody in mind, uh, assuming that you're not the person for this, but, uh, I, I, I would really like to be able to have somebody one day that's in my back pocket. That's, that is maybe a, a psychologist, a trained psychologist believes MK knows MK ultra is real and has been working with MK Ultra victims uh, so that I can refer people that come to me to these people because I'm the conversation guy. I have conversations with people and uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm a podcaster. And so uh, I I don't ever want to pretend that I can help somebody and then wind up hurting them in the process because I say something that just was not helpful in the moment. I had an experience. um, This is not with MK Ultra type stuff, but in general, um, I had a friend who was a recovering drug addict and I didn't, I'd never been around people who were real drug addicts. I mean, around people who smoke weed and stuff, but like, you know, heavy stuff. Uh, he was in and out of rehabs and he knew uh, he could take advantage of me. So he, he did that. And um, I, I, I indirectly, indirectly enabled him in his addiction because I would give him my car and let him borrow things and money, uh, not knowing that I was actually hurting him in the process and not helping him. And now... You know, he was in my wedding and, you know, two years ago he died from an overdose. And I'm not saying it's my fault or anything, but it's just the idea that I'm very cautious saying, yes, I can help you. And, you know, I'm in over my head in that department. Yeah, I don't tell people I can help them either because um, I get triggered. So um, it, it, it hurts me to help them but they keep coming. Mm. So um, as to psychiatrists and that specialize in it, I think the medical profession is so compromised. You're not going to find that. And it, and if anybody is saying that they do, you have to be really 
wary of the fact that they're probably CIA plants yeah. and they're going to start collecting information on, on the MK ultra people who are out there. Uh, the ones that came to me at this last um, conference I was at are all high level people. So they're not coming out saying they were MK ultra, but they sure would like to be able to remember their childhoods and um, want to know what, what the heck happened to them. And, and uh, so I, there isn't a mechanism yet. Uh, there, ha there needs to be, um, and it needs to be someone that can look at the, at the whole picture. But I don't trust, I don't trust talking to any, any, uh, anyone in medicine right now. I'm a doctor. I think the medical profession has just been uh, so badly compromised. It's, it's not the world that was when I started out in the seventies, or maybe I was naive in the seventies. It might be a little bit of both. Uh, yeah, probably both. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like when you say you're a doctor, I, I, I just want to clarify, you're an MD. Like you're, you're not, uh, Hey, I, I paid for my doctor degree online and now I'm a doctor kind of person. Like you really are a doctor. <laughs> Yes, I went to medical school at the University of Washington, graduated first in my class, interned there, and did a radiology residency. So I'm board-certified radiologist, and then practiced for 20 years. Remember, I'm old. So, uh, yeah, I'm a full-fledged doctor, and I did healthcare reform in Russia on, on all kinds of, of different issues, particularly around maternal infant health, and uh, reforming their... their uh, systems of birth control which was at that time abortion and getting it tightened up so that now they have birth control and and no you know their abortion is illegal mm. except in the you know medical circumstances so um so yeah i'm a i'm a doctor through and through i've yeah. also spent time with shamans in uh crimea where there are a lot of shamans and really? actually had a tumor cured. That's another story. That was, that wow. was, that was shamanic magic. And that, and, uh, it, it involved actually going inside of a tree, me becoming part of the tree. And when I came out again, the tumor was gone. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. That's in my book actually. But, I, and I came back to Seattle. I was, I was still practicing and I was so excited about it. I wanted to tell everybody. I thought they'd all be really interested. Crickets. It's like it was so far out of everyone's uh, recognizable reality that they couldn't hear it. So it was really, really my first time understanding that you can come tell the truth. They're not going to hear it. Although mm -hmm. I knew that with MKUltra because I, I was always trying to tell people what was happening to me. And if they did start to, to hear it, then my parents picked us up and moved. So we moved 15, 16 times while I was in grade school. I mean, just, that was the answer. You went across a county line, you went across a state line. And uh, once we had to leave the country and I spent a year in Canada. Um, the schools, schools were an ally then. So they were always looking out for me and, and questioning what was going on at home, questioning my parents. And, why I was disappearing and coming back with big black circles around my eyes. And, uh, anybody who doesn't we, know what that means, it's not that that's, that's a sign of sexual abuse. Is that what you're extreme. referring to? Yeah. yeah. Extreme abuse uh, in a child. 
Yeah. So I mean, anybody, and in fact, I, I want to take this moment right now to 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 direct attention to that in case somebody has children around them it. that they see that. Uh, but that if you see a child who has constantly black eyes on both eyes, that's a sign of sexual abuse uh, through anal pe- penetration. It is a very horrific abuse that that child's going through. And if you notice something like that, say something. Uh, yes. tr- try to help that child as fast as possible. Because it can kill them. Yes. So on that dark note, <laughs> uh, I, I, w- I would like to um, just wind things down. Uh, before, I'd like to have you just tell people about your, or your book titles again and where they can get them. Uh, but before I have you hand it over for you to do that, would you be willing to uh, come on again with me so we could talk more about Angels Over Moscow and those things and, and kind of pivot the conversation into that stage of your life? Because I think it's very interesting and I'd like to have you on to talk about it. Sure. And uh, yes, and we can talk about the the uh, spiritual medicine as practiced in, in Russia. Absolutely. Which is a very real thing. Sounds good. Uh, so what, where can people find your books again? At, uh, they're on Amazon, but they, I'd rather they go to my uh, website, which you'll post underneath it, right? Absolutely. And, and if you go to the website and go to my publisher's page, you can order them there. And uh, I get a bigger percentage of the profits that way. Otherwise, Amazon takes just about everything. So, yeah. i I uh, very familiar with that. Uh, Dr. Engel, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to talk to you. This is important stuff, and I'm glad you're ha- uh, tackling it. I appreciate it. I'm glad it. you're tackling it as a Christian and willing to look deeper into what Christ meant when he said, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, go dance in the fields like a pagan. Yeah, and that's that's often uh, the the depiction that I I see coming out of a lot of people these days. They just think that Jesus was a hippie pick, picking lilies with his friends, and um, you know uh, the reality is Jesus was a, a man's man, and that's why men followed him because he was he was that guy. And so um, I just try to I just try to do my best and uh, let God lead me. And I, I, yes. I, it was a, this, uh, this conversation, I believe was one of those times I, I, I found you on Twitter, didn't know much about you. I just saw the context and I was like, sounds like she'd be somebody good for my show. I reached out, you replied, here we are. And, uh, I think, I think this was a fantastic conversation. So thank you. Great. You're welcome. I look forward to seeing what the comments are like. Ah, uh, they'll be fine. We don't worry about yeah. comments around here. Oh, I don't <laughs> worry about them. They're just, they're just interesting sometimes. I mean, you, I, I imagine some people who've been MK Ultra are going to come forward. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show. If you enjoyed it, that's the best thing you can do to help the show grow. Share the freaking show. I appreciate you guys listening on a weekly basis. Keep coming back. I'll keep pumping out shows every Tuesday and Thursday. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first, it'll piss you off. Bye. in a cage my titles are thrown into the wind i'm left with no face cause when i scream please hear my pain cause when i'm gone i have no name i am alone i am so cold a rose in a cage my titles are thrown into the wind i'm left with no face
Chalk is out 